0: experts only. I'm your host, John Powers. I'm the co-founder of Clean Capital and serve as President Obama's Chief Sustainability Officer. On this podcast, we explore solutions to climate change by talking to industry leaders about the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. You can get more episodes at cleancapital.com. Welcome back to Experts Only. We actually have a really special episode today where I'm talking to the Chief Operating Officer of Clean Capital, Zoe Berkeley. Zoe and I actually go way back to my days in the White House when she worked with me as an intern and has been just an amazing emerging leader in the clean energy space and was actually our first employee at Clean Capital. So we talk both about her career and how she sort of came into the space and then about the growth of the company, but as well, she manages all of our assets. And when you're talking about hundreds of, megawatts of distributed generation, that can be really challenging. So how does asset management need to change to help us scale? These are some of the questions we talk about. You can always get more episodes at cleancapital.com, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Zoe, thanks so much for joining me at Experts Only.
1: Very excited to be here.
0: Excited to have you. You've been around since Experts Only started, since the company started.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I predate Experts Only, believe it or not.
0: Oh, you totally do. (laughs) 100%. 100%. Um, you know, I want to, I want to step back and sort of talk about you for a little bit and your sort of amaz- amazing, growth across, uh, this industry. But before doing that, I want to take you back to Michigan. Um, and you know, what first got you, you and I met when you came to the white house, uh, on an internship, um, you know, what got you interested in the environment? That internship was at the council on environmental quality. Like what was it in your, your childhood or experiences growing up that, that was something important to you?
1: Yeah, I'm one of those rare humans that knew I wanted to work in sort of the realm of the environment, whatever shape that took since I was a child, um, and that, you know, it, it wow. eventually led me to clean energy finance. But I remember in kindergarten having a very cool teacher who taught us all about recycling, and she called us garbologists to, to <laughs> understand garbage and where it goes. Yeah. And it really resonated with me as a child, and my parents said that I came home just, you know, preaching about recycling, and it's been, been the law in my households, plural, yeah. uh, since being a child. So, I think then by the time I reached college, um, even in high school, I had done sort of a summer program at Brown on it was sort of an environmental lab out in Rhode Island, um, and just kept sort of building and broadening my interest in the space you know, generally, and by the time I got to Michigan, environmental policy and international studies, kind of the, the combination of those two was really where my interest lied. I think at the time I wanted to work for the UN environmental program um, or something in that space. And the beginning of my career, it lended itself well to that, but then made some transitions at a certain point.
0: Uh, yeah. Which I know well, I let's talk, let's talk about that. So, I mean, were you telling me once that, you know, you just sort of fell upon that internship opportunity uh, and applied for it? Yeah. Um, yeah, tell that story because, like, folks, pe- people think about, man, I'll never get an internship at like the White yeah. House. But I like, think you you highlight why it's totally possible.
1: The star of the aligned. Yeah, I had um, actually taken a job right out of college, um, working as a paralegal at a personal injury law firm. I mean, it had nothing to do with the environment. What? I know. <laughs> Wanted, to, but thought maybe you know law school made sense. And I had previously applied to the White House internship and didn't hear back. And it was um, a TA in my environmental law program that I think had mentioned it to me, um, but didn't hear back. And then suddenly, it, during the middle of a work day while I was working in Chicago, got a call from Will Garvey, who was yeah. then my boss, we and he Will. reported to you. Um, and right there on the spot, he interviewed me. And then I think a week or two later, I was accepted into the role and marched into my boss's office, quit, <laughs> but he fully understood. And actually uh, I had a friend of mine, um, me. So he was not left high and dry and then moved all my things from Chicago to DC. Um, and never regretted it once, but yeah, it was, it was very serendipitous, I guess. I don't, I don't know what, yeah. what the magic thing was, but it definitely changed my life and started my career off. Um, yeah, you know, in a really positive way. Well, I think the
0: magic thing was you. I think honestly, like, I think if you look across your career, there's a lot of moments where, uh, You know, you like like to say the stars align, but honestly, it's because you were working hard to align the stars. Um, You you, you can imagine your life as a personal injury lawyer today. God, no.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What a turn that would have been for the legal experience, but I was doing a lot of just paperwork, (laughs) Not, not a sexy job, let me tell you. So when you,
0: you finished at the White House, you went on to the Business Council for Sustainable Energy. You know, what did that sort of teach you about the bridge between like what was happening in sustainability and sustainability and what was happening in corporate America?
1: Yeah, it was kind of the just such an ideal next step. Um, the Business Council for Sustainable Energy is a trade association that represents energy efficiency, renewable energy, natural gas kind of across the broad clean energy spectrum and represents these businesses at the state, federal and international levels doing you know policy advocacy on behalf of the business interests. And it was such an incredible experience such that I got to work on all of these different levels of policy, everything from I was primarily focused on the federal level. so these were the days of the clean power plan, got to right. um, you know give testimony in front of the EPA while they were collecting public comments, And then at the state level, sort of similarly, these PUCs were trying to wrap their heads around what they needed to do to be a part of the clean power plan. So we'd go out to, you know, some of the interesting parts of the world, like we know, we know Nevada and go to those PUC meetings and, and, you know, get to sort of say what, how clean energy businesses could support what they're trying to do. Um, And then at the international level, which, you know, my, my major and you know some my interests up until that point really aligned with. We would go every year to the UN climate conferences, right. and I was able to attend um, UN COP. Let's see, I think it was nineteen in Warsaw, all the way through twenty-two in Marrakesh. So I was at the the That's Paris amazing. Climate Agreement, yeah, in twenty fifteen. Trying to remember all my years, so just yeah. you know, sitting behind Al Gore during one of the sessions. It's just you know, it, it's the. 18-year-old in me that was reading climate policy, it was just mind-blowing and just so cool to sort of live that dream and be in, in the moment there. Um, yeah. But I guess I did i did find myself at times, you get a little jaded in the policy space when, you know, so much of that two-week meeting can just be negotiating a single word in a, in a document. And it was, I found mm-hmm. myself wanting something a little more tangible, um, but not just, I mean, policy is so important, but I started to Feel
0: a need for a shift. Yeah. I mean, you and I had a drink at a rooftop outside of a, maybe it eight-quarter bed. I can't even remember. And you mm-hmm. told me you were thinking about uh, making a move and re- was interested in the startups. Yep. Uh, lo and behold, we had a startup in Queen Capital. Like, what was the, what was the interpret Like, what, what, for you, like, what was the um, thought process? Be like, okay, I'm ready to move into the sort of new, new space.
1: Yeah, I I think I just found myself wanting to work for one of the businesses that BCSE was representing. Um, I I found um, just sort of the finance side and just making it make financial sense, just penciling in a model, um, I found just so compelling that there was no amount of political haggling um, that could deny the fact that renewable energy just made sense. Energy efficiency just made sense. um, And I wanted to Dive deeper into that area of the industry, not having had much finance background at all. Um, you know, right. I thought it made sense to go back and get my MBA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: and definitely made made strides towards that. I mean, you wrote my letters of recommendation and right, right, right around that time I had accepted a um. A at least a partial scholarship at Ross and and thought I was going to be back at Michigan in the fall when um, you guys offered me a full-time job. And most of my friends and family thought I was insane to drop out of my MBA right before <laughs> orientation for this five-person startup. But I really liked what we were doing. Um, and of course, our business model has shifted so many times since then, but just the idea of kind of bringing more you know, bringing capital to the distributed renewable space and being creative about it and doing it in a way that few, if any, had done up into that point was just really compelling for me. Um, yeah. yeah. I
0: remember when you came back from your trip, was it Spain, right? Before yeah, we went your to MBA Spain program? and
1: France, yeah, for the yeah. MBA, and yeah, pre-class yeah. trip. <laughs>
0: yeah. Exactly. I, I felt it's totally conflicted that entire summer because I was like, I can't tell Zoe not to go to school. This right. is her future, uh, but I really wanted to be part of this team. And you came back and you're like, Hey, what are my professors studying? What are you doing? This is exactly what people go to school for,
1: yeah. Um,
0: and uh, you know, gosh, I'm so glad you made that decision because it's been uh, an amazing roller coaster ride. So,
1: you and me both, and I think those first few years were sort of an MBA by doing. You know, I learned so yeah. much by just reading all of our project contracts, reading our financing agreements, you know writing down every acronym I heard on calls and Googling them later. (laughs) So (laughs) I think I got a lot out of just, yeah, rolling my sleeves up and and trying to self-teach a bit and then, you know, asking questions along the way. Um, But to this day, I have some friends that were in that MBA class um, and, you know, I think I got a little bit of the best of both worlds where I got to do some of the early on networking with them and they're still friends, but I, Dipped out early,
0: yeah. <laughs> to say the <laughs> early. And jumped into clean capital. <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely. but um,
0: definitely
1: don't want to get to it. the
0: sort of your growth here in a second. But you know, you've heard me say this that there is we're at this really critical dynamic of uh, or alignment of policy, technology, and finance in a way that I think many of the industry never thought uh, would happen. You actually have uniquely sat in all of those spaces. Um, there's very few people in the industry that have um, you know what does your experience on the policy side right uh then sort of sitting within you know what one point we consider ourselves a tech company like we were truly a startup right and now we are sort of a honestly like a long-term asset owner with life insurance capital we're putting to work you right. have sort of seen all sides of the spectrum like how does that sort of help you think about sort of the way you approach your job and sort of the way you approach the market
1: Great question. I think it's it's really helped me be able to see clearly what needs to be prioritized on a given day and what really matters to our business and where we need to add resources or refocus maybe on a given day. I think that's, I think a lot of our leadership is able to kind of see through that and, you know, align the company in such a way that we've been successful to date. Um, I think on the policy side and very recently, you know, we've been able to really build up that, that part of our business and it's sort of, it's always great, you know, listening to Scott's updates, um, and sort of being back in that world a little bit more, um, and, yeah. you know, then kind of that flowing into the tech piece into, um, kind of how we're scaling. It's, it's been awesome to see.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to talk about, so your, your growth here, right? I mean, you came, literally came on first as an intern, which, um, we were, none of us getting paid at the time. Uh, you were our, literally our first paid employee, uh, at Clean Capital. Um, then, um, you know, we started, you know, with for folks that don't know, like we had this whole pitch in the beginning of like, we were going to streamline finance and the tech platform do that and, you know, make these deals really efficient. And then we started getting deals and realized we also had to manage the deals, right? So the idea <laughs> of actually developing an asset management program from scratch, which you have done, uh, literally from the day you, um, sort of raise your hand and took on the responsibility. You know, what, um, what has that taught you if we sort of gone from, you know, an eight megawatt portfolio to what are we today? Almost 300 megawatts? About
1: 250 operating. 250 megawatts, about, yeah. Yeah. With about 40 under construction. So yeah. Large development pipeline behind that.
0: Yeah. So, you know, going from a one person asset management team of yourself <laughs> <all> right, <laughs> with, yeah. with some spreadsheets, um, and, you know, growing up now, uh, not only is our chief operating officer across the whole company, but really overseeing now a 26 state portfolio of of assets, you know, that's almost scaling your own, co- your own company within the company. You know, what has that experience sort of taught you? Um uh, And what have you sort of learned about asset management along the way?
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. I was kind of reflecting on this conversation this morning and kind of was breaking out sort of the different phases of clean capitals growth. And as you mentioned, in 2016, we had the first eight megawatt portfolio. From there, we went on to, you know, what we called hold code two. And there was three portfolios right. in there one of which um, was made up of 315 sites across Missouri that were 25 yes. KW each. And for those that don't know, that's basically residential. <laughs> you know, that right. was, um, that, that portfolio, yeah, on churches, and small <laughs> schools, small businesses. Um, and that portfolio, I think took years off my life, but it taught me a lot in terms of just the amount that goes into managing solar assets, each and every single site is basically its own small business. So we're so currently we're managing effectively 126 customers. So we can you know basically think of that as 126 small businesses across 150 site, 55 sites. Um, so you know within between you know that whole co two period and and now we had a, a a period of time where we were partnered with BlackRock and Carval. We had about 175 megawatts at that point. So that was also a big jump. And it, we were um, just working on figuring out how to manage, you know, our deliver, deliverables to our investors who are very sophisticated at very high standards. And at the time, we had outsourced all, a lot of our asset management and reporting requirements. And just the amount of time I was taking, just kind of translating the reporting, finding errors, trying to improve prove upon, you know, what we were receiving from our third parties, make sure performance was under control. We had outsourced um, o and management as well. And it just seemed like I was sifting all this information through third parties. And at the end of the day, you know, Clean Capital, myself, we cared the most about how our assets were performing. And it just seemed to make sense to, you know, cut out that, that middle part and really take in the ownership of all of our deliverables and, you know, Rise to the standards of what we needed to to be putting out. So I think between that during that time we um, we started to kind of build out the team slowly. Um, Maria Shapiro, who's still you know a friend of of the company and is a mentor of mine, came on as CFO for a time. We built out our, our accounting software. Um, we then in 2021 onboarded Radian Lens as our asset management and compliance software added um, kind of then restructured or structured, not restructured. It was the first time we were structuring the asset management team to sort of have accounting and finance branch that oversaw all things, you know, financials, AR, AP, billing that, you know, customer facing relationship. And then a technical branch that, you know, every single day, they're looking at performance of the site and getting to the root cause of any underperformance or technical issues, managing any claims that may come up and, and working with the facility managers on site to get the best performance. And then between those two teams, our reporting has become incredibly robust and detailed. We understand every yeah. little variance. Um, and it's just been awesome to see the growth. We're now a team of 14, whereas you mentioned, it was just me <laughs> back in the day. Right, um, right. But we've had, you know many of our investors and, and John Hancock most recently um you know give us accolades on the fact that our reporting is is so clean and and we really have a handle on the performance of our many assets at this point. Um, it's just really cool to see it pay off. Um, you know it's not perfect. There's always ways to improve as I think any company, you know, anyone who says they have it all figured out is lying. Um, right. So right. <laughs> you know we're definitely always growing but it's 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 awesome to have built out such a such an awesome and smart team that I learn from every single day, um, and uh, get to you know continue growing and and operating solar for the life of the the life of the assets.
0: Yeah, I mean we are reporting. You know, we hear, I think we hear regularly some of the best institutional reporting out there. But we were reporting some of the uh, biggest institutional players in the market: Hancock, major debt providers, tax equity providers, and everyone. And you guys exactly. have really, really helped communicate for folks that don't understand what that means. I mean, basically, we're talking to these investors about how their investment's doing. And you have to do it in a way that's sort of clear and concise. And at the same time, you know, Zoe is dealing with the fact that a typhoon hit Guam and knocked our project out there, or that there are fires on facilities in certain mm-hmm. regions, or we have school superintendents in Colorado who want to break their power purchase agreements uh, yeah. because, <laughs> because they uh, don't like solar uh, exactly. on a daily basis.
1: Yep, there is never a dull moment. You never know what the day is going to bring, and I am often, yeah. you know, it's kind of a triaging situation. Mm-hmm. Whatever you thought you were going to get done today, you're not because you were in fact dealing with the with a impending typhoon in Guam. <laughs> not <Right>. hypothetically,
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? Seriously, if, yeah. if you could you. give like one message to investors, whether it be you know not stick it out of clean capital for a second, but you know the broader industry is they're thinking about. You know, it's one thing to put these things in a model. It's totally different when they've got to actually run and and be uh, invested. And I see we see it, we see it a lot in the market where you know our competitors may be um, under investing in OM and and asset management because they want to basically get the financial pop versus actually building quality projects. You know, yeah. what would you say to the market about sort of the importance of sort of the long term view of these?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, I say it a lot, and I I think we've developed a good feedback loop at Clean Capital in terms of asset management, sort of weighing in on deals and diligence. But I think it's really easy to throw a really low O&M number into a model, and then right away, you're reporting a variance, because it's actually more expensive to maintain that site to the standards that you've also modeled. So you just have to, you have to look at the project as a whole and think about how just think smartly about how you're managing the site, you know, work with these O&M providers to, you know, to grow your relationship with them, give them more business and potentially better, better pricing. Um, You know, we have sort of geographically preferred partners. And I think that started to pay off in terms of some of the rates, you know, we're just always thinking about how can we improve performance um, while, you know, meeting, meeting modeled expectations. And I think it's so critical for, deals teams and asset management teams to not work in silos, there needs to be that feedback loop and understanding of, you know, what, you know, the asset management team is actually seeing on the ground and um, performance of various types of equipment and how much things are actually costing, vegetation maintenance, it's been a really volatile and increasingly expensive line item that I think at one point wasn't even factored into a lot of um, financial models and it increasingly needs to be so. Um, so having that, you know, back and forth communication, I think has made us even smarter and more capable investors. And, you know, you can see it in our, in our reporting that we're, we're pretty well aligned with our expectations, which is awesome to see.
0: Yeah. So with, you know, I remember falling back a few years ago when we had a project in North Carolina where we literally had to pay one of our contractors who was a contractor and someone else to take his lawnmower out and mow the lawn on this facility. Um, but now there's been a pretty strong consolidation in the space around providers so talk a little bit about what you've seen, you know, as the uh, market has really brought efficiency.
1: Yeah, I would say, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, different service providers across the industry are making strategic decisions on where they're going to focus. You know, maybe they're not going right. to do utility and DG, they're just going to focus on DG or or the other. And I think that allows them to specialize a bit. And I think, you know, there's, there's groups like the um, O&M Amicus Cooperative that, you know, these smaller O&M providers actually kind of share resources and help some contract out to each other. And I think that that's been sort of that, you know, attitude amongst the, the industry is really helpful. Um, Yeah. And, but we're seeing, you know, it's, it's interesting. O&M providers and and other service providers, I won't just say O&M that, you know, we relied on for years, maybe there's a change in ownership or they're tightening margins and, you know, sometimes the the service then implodes. You know, it's it's always sort of a volatile um, thing that we're tracking and you know keeping tabs on all of our service providers to make sure that you know the the quality is is what it was and continues to be. And if not, then we need to sort of figure out what's best for our projects um, and just kind of always yeah. be thinking more broadly. And and also, I'd add not not rely as I think has sort of been the theme not rely on our third parties too extensively and think about how we can manage our own solutions. We just recently um, and Tommy Golder, who's our director of asset technical asset management was hugely critical in, in implementing this, but we have our own spare parts program now kind of operated separately from many of our own providers that our on You know, they, they utilize this warehouse and they're able to pick from parts that we have on, on, Stock, um, so we're right. reducing downtime, and so thinking kind of creatively how to do that um, is is super important.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, do you have any favorite projects in our portfolio?
1: That's a good question. Probably in the Cedar Breaks portfolio, Pomus and Lancaster in Massachusetts. They're nice, you know, above five megawatt, just steady as they go good performers, yeah. <laughs> not a lot of issues. I just, those are the golden children right now. Yeah. I, would say. Then I, I think good. the bad eggs are often more top of mind, but it's always a mixed bag. That's why distributed works. And it's kind of cool to yeah. see that, you know, even if there are wildfires in California, you know, it, it doesn't always pull down the performance of the whole portfolio because we are so distributed now. Um, and yeah. you know, they're kind of all carrying the weight at different times, which is awesome to see.
0: As the, as the industry gets more and more efficient, as the financing is more efficient, as we're, you know, moving manufacturing back here to the US, and we're really beginning to sort of scale, you know, what do you see, if we're going to hit our climate goals in 2030, you know, this needs to continue, you know, we continue to sort of execute. Are there any sort of key things that you see that need to happen uh, over the next few years for us to evolve and, and, and reach those goals?
1: Yeah, um, I think a few things. I mean, just in terms of scale, I think. It's so easy to just, I mean, it's still difficult, but just throw, you know, bodies at the problem, just higher, 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 because, you know, it's really hard to manage all of these assets. We need more and more people. But I think always taking a step back, thinking about your processes, what makes sense? How can we do this more efficiently? What is actually needed here to get the job done and utilize software, utilize, you know, different automations that can help us scale and manage optimally without, you know, being too glutted, um, with, right. you know, which is a larger and larger team I think it's always been first and foremost. Um, I think in terms of just the future of the industry, the reality is we have so many aging solar assets on our hands. And I think about this all the time, um, you know, some of the older, oldest sites in our portfolio are, you know, from 2008, 2009, and just across yeah. the industry, we, it's It's nice that this term of art repowering is increasingly on you know the schedules of, of different conferences, but what that really means and how maybe the the IRA and the kind of more robust ITC implications that have come out of that um, can help us think about repowering, getting more more life out of these existing assets, but doing so responsibly. so, I'm always thinking about how kind of the full life cycle of solar and what that means for, yeah. you know, end of life of these sites and recycling. And there aren't, there are solutions, but they're still incredibly expensive. So more R&D into, into that area, as well as um, just the, you know, equipment efficiencies as a whole and, you know, making sure that we're improving as an industry and gaining more efficiencies, but doing so responsibly and I think kind of right. the domestic manufacturing component will be a huge part of that as well. Um, I yeah. love that
0: you talked about recycling going back to your biologist days.
1: Right. Uh, exactly. It all goes <laughs> full circle.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um speaking of full circle, if you could, you know, um just get to sort of the final question. You I'm gonna take you back to um, you know, before you applied before you applied to be a uh a paralegal uh at a at a, at a law firm, um, <laughs> you could sit down and you know, have a beer with yourself. Uh, and, you know, I think it's hard to, you have an amazing uh, trajectory as a leader, as a, uh, you know, as sort of the future CEO of an awesome company in somewhere in the tech space. Um, but that, you know, there wasn't a straight line, right? You sort of worked through a variety of different ways to get here and took some risks and, and some opportunities. You know, if you could go back and sort of sit down with yourself and, you know, give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be?
1: Good question. Um, I think to sometimes not take yourself or life too seriously. I think there were moments in my college days where, you know, I stayed in to study for that exam and yes. Okay. That's important. But I think it's also important to just have fun and know that if you have drive, it will work out in the end. Um, and if you can maintain that focus and also, you know, I think I, you know, I, like you said, I think I did take chances. I mean, Clean Capital being, being a big one, but maybe take even yeah. more and, you know, kind of take that odd summer job and, um, you know, try different things. I think would be some advice that that would, I would also give myself and, and also take every networking opportunity possible. Um, yeah. I think just, yeah, the more you talk to people, the more you learn about what they do, how they think, where they see the industry going. Um, it can only just kind of help you hone in on what, what interests you the most, um, for sure. So,
0: yeah. I, I've never asked this on the show before, but I'm going to ask you a question, uh, that if you could go, you know, there's so much as our industry grows, right. We need so many more folks to come into the industry. You could be an accountant right now in oil and gas or, uh, you know, in some other asset real estate and you want to get into solar, right. Or you could, you know, be a paralegal and, uh, at a, you know, personal injury law firm, but you really care about climate, <laughs> right? So what piece of advice would you give them uh, about moving into this, you know, transformational industry that we sit in?
1: In terms of kind of what, what they should. Yeah, like how
0: do you get into it? How do you, how, yeah. if, you if you're not, if you, if you didn't study the environment, if you're not an MBA from the Elf forestry school, but you really care about climate and the environment and you want to make an impact, um, you know, how do you start to move into this space?
1: Yeah, I think about that a lot. And, you know, I I feel for some of the newer, like younger applicants we get for some entry-level jobs, you know, I we want to, it's so important to sort of broaden out the network of the industry, right? Not just be constantly hiring within our own networks. And we think about this right. a lot at Twin Capital. And, and it's really hard, I think, especially as this industry grows and there's more and more capital just pouring into it, it's making it so much, that much more competitive. I, you know, I think- yeah, it's, it's, it's just so it's changed in the, in the duration of my own career, but there are groups like RISE, Women in Renewable Industries and Sustainable Energy, CELI, Clean Energy Leadership Institute. I'm, you know, I'm plugging those two, those two words. I have so much, you know, experience with both of them, but I think RISE in particular is such a good opportunity to start networking within the industry with, with, you know, it's, it's women and, um, I think, you know, well, it's non-binary focus, but it, it just gives you an opportunity and a platform in terms of webinars, physical networking events, conferences to just start meeting people in the industry, as well as some scholarships to allow you to go to different conferences and job careers. So these kind of these nonprofit trade groups, um, I think are such a good opportunity for young people trying to get into the space that maybe don't have experience, but it opens doors to them in terms of um, the folks that are members and involved and they can find opportunities that way and learn where they can get their foot in. That's probably- That's
0: awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Zoe, thank you so much. It's been obviously an amazing roller coaster with you for a long time and really happy (laughs) to have you on Experts Only and look forward to the next phase at King Capital.
1: Likewise, it's been such a fun ride excited for it to continue thanks so much john
0: of course and so first of all as always you can get more episodes at cleancapital.com and i want to thank colleen young our producer as always for helping to put this together um you know we'll have plenty of new episodes coming out this summer and into the fall before re plus so we look forward to continuing the conversation Thanks.